I've been in ministry for almost 40 years, serving as a pastor. That's a long time. I mean, at least I think it's a long time. And in those almost 40 years, I have experienced a lot of ups and downs. And there have been some movements that have been profound. Earlier this morning, I went and visited our young adult class for a few minutes, and we talked just a few moments about the revival up at Ansbury University in Kentucky. You, if you've not heard about it, go look it up. It's a phenomenal story. It was an unscripted, unplanned event where people began sharing their sins, their, their separation from God, and it led from one to another to another, and people just randomly started singing and praising and reading Scripture, and people's lives were being changed. It was, was and is a phenomenal event. And I'm sharing that to say with you, as I look back at my life, and I look at what I've done and what I haven't done, who I am, who I wished I was, all of those thoughts that go through a mind. You know, I'm, I, I just want us to think this morning as we've thought for the past two weeks, we the church, what does that really mean? There are a lot of people today that don't go to church. There are a lot of people today that say, yeah, you know, church is whatever. There are a lot of people today that say churches are filled with hypocrites, and that is very true. I, we are full today of hypocrisy because we're all sinful people. Just last week, Thursday, I was asked to do a funeral for a fella or a lady. And um, when I was speaking with her husband of 51 years, he was telling me about her life and their sons. And uh, again, I, I, that was the first time I'd ever talked with this gentleman. And then when I showed up at the funeral on uh, Thursday... Um, that was the first time I'd ever met this guy. And as I listened to them talk and share and, and just, I really, I'm just going to be honest. I thought, what am I going to say today? What comfort can I give them today? They told me that they had been to church when they were younger. They hadn't been in a long time. They were loving people. I mean, they loved each other. This person's dad had lost two wives and now, as of last week, two daughters. And then, of course, watching Rhonda's family and, and listening to all of the heartfelt emotion and memories and stories, here, here's the stark reality. All of us, at some point, are going to go to a funeral, whether it's your own funeral or a family member's funeral. We're all going to go to a funeral. And we all need to be ready for that moment. We need to be ready because it's unavoidable. And we, the church, we're here to bring hope and joy to people. And sometimes we, we the church, do a great job of that, and sometimes we, we sputter through it. Here's what I want you to think with me this morning about. We've talked about Jesus being the foundation of our church as well as all churches. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd have no hope. If it wasn't for Jesus, we could not experience that abundant life that he wants to give us. 
He really wants to give us an abundant life. And as we think about all of these things, and then last week about me and you being the salt and the light of the church, the, law, the salt and the light of Jesus, it's so easy for us to slip into a routine of just life, boredom, apathy, whatever words you want to put there. And then you put all of that into this big melting pot in perspective of what's happening in Ansbury. I crave that. I mean, that's what I crave. I mean, I crave this pouring of God's Spirit upon His people, the church, to truly revolutionize and change our own life so that we really will be salt and light where He, Jesus, the Creator of all, the Savior of all, can truly change lives. And so this week was busy. Um, I've never had my note flip like that. Maybe God's telling me to leave it there, and I'll pick it up for my security blanket. This week's been incredible. My weeks are often very busy. Earlier this morning, Angie and I were talking with, uh, and we were just we were just talking, and and I just said I'm I'm tired, and it's not just this week. I said for the past year, meaning this year, we're in February, right? I said I've been working almost seven days a week every day of this year, and so. This week was hard to prepare a sermon. So I'm looking at all of this and I'm thinking, this is dangerous because when you try to prepare and you try to present and then it's busy and then you want to go off the cuff and not go off the cuff, people like me can ramble for a really long time. And I don't want to do that to you. So here's what's going to happen this morning. I'm going to read this scripture, John 13, verses 34 and 35. This is, these are words many of us have heard before. Jesus is speaking. He is nearing the end of his earthly life. And this is what he says to his disciples. I give you a new command. I give you a new command. Love one another. Let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus said, I am giving you a new command. Love one another. We have heard that so many times, have we not? Love one another. Love one another. And love can be defined in so many different ways, but Jesus gave us the definition in the next words of what he meant. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. I don't know if you've ever really thought about those words, that we should love each other just as Jesus loves us. You see, up to this point, Jesus has not gone to the cross. He's talked about it. He's mentioned it. But he said to them, love each other just as I have loved you. And then he said in verse 35, by this all people will know you are my disciples if 
you have love for one another. So Jesus said, I want you, my disciples, to love as I have loved you. And then he added to that, and because of the way you love, the love that you have will be a reflection of who you really are. See, we all come to the table with our own definitions of, of love. There's, there's a lot of different kinds of love. For, for many of us, we, we have a love for family. Families can love each other really well. And then there are those families that fight really well. And then in the church, there's a love. Marriages have a love. There's love of parents and love of children. And, and this could go on and on and on and on. But think about what Jesus said specifically of his church, his people, the people who call themselves, I'm a follower of Jesus. Have you ever thought about your love? For Jesus and your love for other people. Because the way you love defines who that church really is. You know, I've been to some small churches, and I've, in fact, most of the churches that I've ever pastored were not big churches. The biggest one was down in Florida, and it never got above 225 on a given Sunday. So that's not really a big church. Some of you have been to big churches. I mean, 2,000 on a Sunday or maybe even 3,000 on a Sunday. You can go to those churches, and Ron and I have been to them. You can slip in, be greeted, slip out, and nobody will ever know your name. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. And then there are really, 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 really tiny churches of like 20 people. So there are churches of all sizes. Size has nothing to do with what Jesus was saying here. He was saying, I am asking you to love each other. I am asking you to love me as I have loved you. And at the very heart, what was Jesus saying? Unconditionally. That's easy to roll off the tongue, isn't it? Unconditional love. I love you without condition. But you know what? We're all humans, aren't we? Um, how many of you have ever been wronged by somebody? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying. How many of you have been in perfect relationships your entire life? My hand ain't going up. How many of you have ever thought evil of another person? I mean, I have. I mean, I've kind of like, well, I won't say what I thought. How many of you find it very easy to forgive others when you're wronged? How many of us would look at someone different from us and think quickly, I could relate to that person. See, we, we define our love often to justify who we're not. Jesus said love each other. A church is filled of people that are very different. 
when I came here, when I came to other churches, it seems that in many churches, there are, there are people that have been there for a while. We all know this, don't we? And we have been to churches where new people come in. And in some of the churches where new people come in, churches in a way are like schools. How many of you remember high school or middle school? I do. Faintly, but I remember it. You, you had in a typical school the, the athletes, the athletes, the jocks, the, the guys that played football, baseball, basketball, and so forth. And then you had the cheerleaders. And then you had the nerds, the smart ones, the geeks. That was kind of who I was with. I was a lesser geek, but I was a geek. And then you had, at least in my school, the farming community, you had the, the true farmer kids. And then there was another group of people, at least in my school, we never called them this, but they were the druggies. They were the ones that they did that stuff. And then there were the, like the outliers, the really strange ones. So there were all of these groups in school. Sometimes the groups mixed with the others. But you know how often that really happened? Hardly ever. Hardly ever. And then when we come to the church, we, we're supposed to love everybody, right? It's hard to do that, isn't it? Jesus knew all of this. The disciples Jesus had in this meeting room where they were at, some of them were diehard Jewish men. I mean, they were hardcore Jews. Matthew, one of those who was Jewish, was a tax collector. That means he was Jewish, but he wasn't in because he was a tax collector. He was a betrayer to the Roman people. When Jesus wanted Matthew to come in, John and James probably looked at Matthew and thought, he ain't one of us. We don't want him here. But they dared not say it out loud because Jesus chose Matthew. So they had some odd apples. There was even a zealot in the group of the original. A zealot back in that day was somebody who said, I hate the Roman government. In other words, there was a little political thing even there. we got politics in our country, right? We've got the Democrats, we've got the Republicans, the Libertarians, the Independents. And there's a moment when in families we say we don't talk about what in our homes. We don't talk about religion and we don't talk about what? Politics. See, we the church has a mixture and a hodgepodge, hopefully, of a lot of different people that normally wouldn't even sit in the same room together. And we're supposed to love all these people. In the original group, there were people who were successful businessmen, and there were some who were not, meaning they came from different economic groups. Some had a fluent 
lifestyles and influence within the culture of the day, and some had zero influence with their world. And Jesus brought all these people from all of these backgrounds, these 12 men, and one of whom we know as Judas, who would later betray Jesus, they were all there. And Jesus said to them, I want you to love each other as I have loved you sacrificially. Y'all know how hard that, that is to do, right? It is hard to love sacrificially. Ron and I have been married for 43 years, and we're still trying to figure it out. We are still trying to figure out this thing called sacrificial love because at the very heart and core of every person is this, this desire to want what I want. I can't say we. We, I, I want this. And when I don't get what I want, what happens? Friction. It happens in marriage. It happens between parents and children. It happens in workplaces. It happens even in churches. And it's these kinds of things, this selfishness that robs us of being the church that God wants us to be. See, I believe the, the revival in Ansbury happened because people that came to the initial meeting said, somebody said, I don't need to be selfish anymore. I need to come clean. I need to love Jesus like he wants me to love him. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to tell people what is on my heart. And he did. Or she. I think it was he. doesn't matter. That's another division point. But something was said. And then another person thought, huh, I'm in that boat. And one after another, after another, after another shared. And when people truly let go of their selfishness, and then when they truly said, I need to love Jesus like he loves me, sacrificially, not caring about my reputation or what people may think, but I just need to love Jesus like he loves me, and I need to love others like he loves them then I'm on the right road. Then revival broke out. It's still going on today. It's weird. I mean, that's just weird, y'all. So as most of us, when we come to church, this is what we do. I can see it back there. But we all have a watch, don't we? It's kind of like, he got up there at this time. He should be done any minute now. We started church, you know, at 1030 after COVID. And we then voted, do we do it at 11 and go, or do we? And the overwhelming consensus said, no, we like ending at 1130 so we can get to those restaurants faster. <laughs> you know, I'm, we, we laugh about this stuff. It is kind of funny. But it's hard for us to truly love people unlike ourselves. It's hard to love like Jesus. It's hard to be marked and identified 
by love. But we, the church, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love each other like Jesus loves us. Now, I think we do a, a pretty good job here. I think we could do better because we're just not perfect. And I think if we love people who are not in the church the way Jesus loved people not in the church, we'd do better too. There's certain people that I've struggled with in my past. And, and when I'm saying struggle with when they're different from me, and some of you would probably say, there's a lot of people different from you, and that's okay. I know people who, who use bad grammar, for example. I use bad grammar sometimes. And then when I'm around people who use good grammar, I try to have good grammar, but my roots come out and I sometimes say things that are grammatically incorrect. And some of you are going, I don't know what you're talking about. And some of you are saying, I do not care. There, there are people from certain lifestyles that I don't often hang around. When I say certain lifestyles, I learned this. I, I didn't really know. Th I knew this, but I didn't know this. Last night, I found out something unique about me. I'm too blunt. Did y'all know that? Don't say it. I was told last night that I was very blunt, and that I've been blunt for a long time. I, di I didn't know I was blunt. But anyway, it's okay. When we, when we are around somebody different from us, a different lifestyle, different choices, we, the church, can actually turn our backs on them without even knowing it because they're different. You remember years ago, years ago, I mean long, long time ago, if someone was living together, not married, they didn't come to church. Do you know why? They weren't welcome. It's not loving like Jesus. It's just, it's not. Today, the big one is gay. Well, it's not as big as it used to be. If, you, if you're gay and you come to some churches, you're not accepted because of the lifestyle. But Jesus loves everybody, y'all. He wants everybody to know him as his Savior and Lord. There are people that don't wear certain clothes. Some people barely wear clothes, actually. And so, when Jesus met those people in his day, he didn't say of those people, eh, you're not fit for the kingdom. He just loved them. He just loved them. He didn't agree with any of these things that are considered or in Scripture as sin. He didn't say, well, that's great. Keep sinning and doing what you're doing and everything. He, he said, no, I'm going to love you as you are. I'm going to explain to you how you get into heaven and how you can have an abundant life. But it's up to you to make that decision. Jesus just loved people. I wonder how often we really love people not like us. It's a hard thing to do. One thing about hospice, it has stretched me in a lot of ways. I, I meet a lot of people with a lot of views. 
I still remember the one family years ago. The patient had been a longtime Baptist who raised his children to be Baptist by denomination. He was no longer Baptist. He was basically, I'm just Baptist. I ain't nothing but Baptist. He married a woman who was Wiccan. Had three children, the grandson of the patient. One was uh, regularly attending a Christian church, non-denominational. The other one was... um, Oh, goodness, it's an older religion, and it just slipped my mind. Um, A deist. He was a deist. And then the other was some weird stuff. I don't even remember what it was. I I mean, I say weird, not in a bad way. I'm just saying they all chose their own little paths. Now, as a Christian, Jesus said that he's the only way to heaven. There is no other way. That's what Jesus said. I went in that house, and the woman that was Wiccan said, you want to come back? I said, well, that's not my call. That's your call. She said, well, I'd love for you to come back. And I went, and I did. Why? Because they needed to be loved as well. What I'm trying to say, y'all, is we need to really learn and ask ourselves, am I, am I, Am I loving people without judgment? Am I just trying to serve them and help them? Am I just trying to be Jesus to them and with them? Will they say of me when I've walked out of their presence? He was like most Christians I know, judgmental, critical, et cetera, et cetera. Or would they say, you know what, I know that person's a Christian, but they just were here and present and were different. So I, I believe when we read this scripture, if, if love one another as I have loved you, do we really love like Jesus? Do we really, we, we, do all of us, do we really love like Jesus loved? That's hard. I mean, it's hard. One thing that has helped me in my own spiritual growth is my youngest daughter. Yes. When she was a senior in high school, these words are still with me today, and I remind myself of them often. When she said to me, Dad, you are so judgmental. Do you know what the first words out of my mouth were? I'm not judgmental. She said, yes, you are. And I wanted to go, you're judgmental for calling me judgmental. I didn't say it, but I thought it because when we, when we look in the mirror and we fail to see who we really are, we're not really looking in the mirror. So what I'm saying is we need to have those moments in our life and have people in our life where we let in and let them speak into our heart, where we don't just reject what was said, but we listen to what was said, and we ask ourselves, could that really be true? Could that be true? Is there any truth to that? 
And I listened to what she said. And she was right. I was a little judgmental. Okay, I was a lot judgmental. And it has been a, gosh, that was a long time ago. I mean, you were a senior in high school and you're older now. And I'm saying it was a process that I had to ask myself the question, specifically from John 13, am I loving like Jesus? And it wasn't just people outside the church, but people even inside the church. I'm asking you today to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question, am I loving other people like Jesus loves me? How can I be more like Jesus? And when we learn to do that, when we learn to let go of our prejudices and all of those things that might keep us from truly loving someone not like us and truly love them like Jesus loved them, in the church or not, we're on the right road. And it's in that moment revival might come in your life. And when revival comes in your life and my life, maybe then we can have our own little Lansbury right here or Colorado or Oklahoma or wherever you may be from today. See, that's what I want. I mean, I don't know if you want it, but I want a real revival with real life change. Let's pray together.